Thank you so much. Well, I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to Habakkuk, Habakkuk in chapter number one again. And um, as you turn there, let me just remind you what we looked at last week as we began and looked at verses one through four. Remember Habakkuk had a great burden. It was an overwhelming burden. You say, what was it? Well, if you remember from last week, he saw the sin of Judah. And as he saw the sin of Judah, it just overwhelmed him, broke him. And he had been crying out to the Lord for a long time. And he finally said, how long, O Lord, will I cry unto you? And literally what his complaint was is he saw that God was being indifferent concerning the situation. And he was asking God, God, why are you allowing me to see this and not doing something about this? He said, I see violence, I see strife, I see contention. And he said, God, it doesn't seem like you're doing anything. And then above all that, the law that you gave, it's paralyzed, it's slacked, it's, it's not giving forth the justice that needs to take place. And he said, God, I just don't understand why you're not intervening. Now, how many of you agree that many times when we cry to the Lord, God give us an answer and it may not be the answer we want to hear? Well, that's exactly what happens here. So if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word and let's look at verse number 5 because here's God's answer to Habakkuk's cry. God says to Habakkuk, Behold, ye among the heathen, regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall precede themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as an eagle that hasteth to eat. Let's pray. Father, I just pray you'd speak to our hearts. Let us glean from this passage. Let us see what you were trying to show Habakkuk, who you were. And Father, I'll thank you and I'll praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Well, as you look at this passage, one of the things you'll see is, you say, well, God just lays out who these Chaldeans are that he's raising up to come against Israel. And he is, and that's really what he's trying to do. But there's an underlying thing to this passage that I think so many times is missed. Really, this passage is not as much about the Chaldeans as it is about God. Because what this passage really deals with is God teaching Habakkuk about himself being God. And that's really what this passage is all about. Now, this was going to be difficult for Habakkuk, just as God said it would be. But yet God was going to give Habakkuk enough information about himself and what he was going to do that through that information alone, Habakkuk would respond in a very unusual way. Now let me show you this passage just a minute. I want you to look at verse number 5 and we see the exhortation to look. The exhortation to look. Now you remember in verses 1, 2, and 3, Habakkuk says, why are you letting me see all this iniquity? Well, can I tell you, now God answers and says, okay, 
Well, I want you to look at something else then. So look what he says here. Behold, ye among the heathen, regard. He said, Habakkuk, look at yourself among the heathen. In other words, Habakkuk, you need to understand, I am doing something. I have been doing something. I've been doing it for a while, and you've been oblivious to the whole thing. And you say, well, what was he doing? Oh, he was raising up another nation, being the Babylons. And God was doing this work, and, and he says to Habakkuk, Behold ye among the heathen. Now, here's what takes place. The prophet's focus was being challenged. Because now all of a sudden, God was taking his focus off of, off of the Israel and Judah and their plight and taking his focus off of God where Habakkuk thought God was being indifferent. And now Habakkuk's focus was being challenged to look at something else. You say challenged to look at another nation. Yes, but no. Challenged to look at what God was doing through another nation. And this was the essence of what God was trying to tell Habakkuk. And you know, it's funny how God many times has to challenge our focus. Because I don't know about y'all, but there's many times we get focused on self. We get focused on circumstances. We get focused on many other things. And isn't it amazing how God sometimes has to do a work in our lives to challenge our focus? How many of y'all have a tendency to get your focus out of whack? Amen? All right, nobody in here ever gets your focus out of whack. All right? All right, so we all do. So guess what? God has a way of challenging our focus, helping us to refocus upon Him. Because I want to tell you something. No matter what you see in this world, no matter how wicked this world is, no matter what's going to take place tomorrow or next week or next month or next year in this world, here's the one thing you and I need to stay focused on. God is in control and God is the same. Amen. So Habakkuk had to have his focus challenged. But not only that, but when God was saying this to Habakkuk, he said, look around you. You're among the, a nation that I'm rising up. He said, look at the river Euphrates where this nation is being risen up. And he said, around you, look what I've been doing. You say I've not been doing anything. I'm telling you, I've been doing a lot. But not only was his focus challenged, but the prophet's future was challenged. Because here's what God was going to say to Habakkuk. He said, I'm raising up another nation. And they're going to remove you from your land. Now, this would challenge everything that Habakkuk would think and see. And you say, what do you mean it would challenge everything about Habakkuk? Because remember, Israel thought, well, we're in the land, we're, we're in Jerusalem, we're, we're in the land that God's given us, and God's just going to keep us here. We're not going to have to go anywhere. It, we're just going to live it up in the Lord and, and just stay where we are. Well, I got news for you. When they turned themselves away from God, and they began to live in the reality of their own desires and their own wants and quit yielding to the authority of God. God had told them. He said, listen, if you do this, he said, I'll remove you from the land. I'll take you out of the land. And so what is God doing here? God's raising up another nation, and through that nation, that nation will be God's tool. Now, are y'all hearing me say amen? amen? God's tool of grace. In Israel's life. 
And you say that's impossible. God can't use a heathen nation as a tool of grace. He does many times. And so here, Habakkuk's focus was challenged and Habakkuk's future was challenged. This was an exhortation to look. But I want you to see secondly, an exhortation to listen. So here's what God says to Habakkuk here. He says, Behold, you among the heathen regard and wonder marvelously. For I will, God will, work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. So God just lays out this truth to Habakkuk. And he's exhorting him now, get your focus changed, but now listen to what I'm about to do. Now here's the thing. If your focus is out of whack, your listening is going to be out of whack. And you and I need to understand that many times God's got to get our focus right before we're ever going to hear. Because if our focus is wrong, our hearing becomes dull. And so what God had to do first is get Habakkuk's focus right, and then he says, now, I want you to listen to me. Now he gives a couple things here concerning what he wants Habakkuk to know. The first thing is the reality of God's answer. So here's God's answer to Habakkuk and his cry in verse 1 through 4. He says, I will work a work in your days. And so in other words, here's what God says. Now, the way it reads in the original is this. I am and will continue to work a work in your days. So in other words, remember, Habakkuk's complaint was, God, you're being indifferent about this. And, and God's saying, oh no, Habakkuk, I'm not being indifferent. I've already been working and I will continue to do a work in your day. The problem is, it's going to blow your ever-loving mind. Now, I entitled this message, and you if you were here last week, you'll remember this. I entitled this message, Are You Serious? Have you ever had times in your life that God did something, and you just, in your mind, you're going, God, are you serious? I mean, this is what about going through Habakkuk's mind. Come back tonight, you're going to find out the full orb of what Habakkuk thought of this answer. Because here's, here's Habakkuk, and God said, listen, here's the reality. Here's the reality, Habakkuk. I'm going to do a work, and I am doing a work. It's going beyond your understanding. Now, here's the amazing thing. This passage is quoted in the New Testament. It's quoted in Acts chapter 13, verse 38 through 41. And I want you to look at this because I want you to understand the context of how it was used then in relation to how it was used now in Acts. Look at Acts 13, 38. It says, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through the, this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now he's talking to Israel here. He said, this man you crucified, Jesus. He said, he's my work. He's the work that I did. He's the work that I'm doing. And through him, you can have forgiveness. You can't get it through keeping the law. Beware, therefore, lest you come, lest that come upon you which is spoken in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Now what's the context? Here's the context. Here's what was written in Acts. The context is spoken to Israel. He said, listen, the 
Jesus is the Messiah. He's the way you get forgiveness of sin. Not by keeping the law. That's what I've been doing, and here's what I'm going to do. If you turn your back up on my provision, if you turn your back up on my son, if you turn your back up on the way, the only way that you can have forgiveness, he says, beware. Beware. Because I'll do another work, a work of judgment, which you will not believe. Because here's, here's the rationale of society. The rationale of society is this. Well, God's not going to really judge like He says He's going to judge. And God said, listen, I'm going to do a work you ain't going to believe. Beware! I warn you! Beware! So what was God saying to Habakkuk? I'm going to do a work through these Chaldeans you're not going to know. You're not going to understand. And He said, you better look. You better look, and you better listen. And this is what God's saying. Now, think about it just a minute. So is God true to His Word and His promises? He is. And by the way, you're going to see this in just a minute. What God's telling Habakkuk is not new to what God had already done with Israel in the past. This was not something out of the blue. This was not something that should have blindsided Habakkuk. Matter of fact, God not only had done it in the past, God said He would do it in the past. And so, but yet, Habakkuk's mindset was so on the favor of Judah, the favor of Israel. And yes, he was burdened. Yes, he was broken over their sin. Yes, he wanted God to intervene in Judah's life and in their sin. But when God said, I will do a work, not in Judah, but I'll first am doing a work in a heathen nation called the Chaldeans. And they'll be my vessel of grace. They'll be my tool of grace, whereby I will reach Judah. And this absolutely... Blue Habakkuk's night. Now, let me give you a couple of things here. First thing, it's a work beyond expectation. And you say, what does it mean it's work beyond expectation? Because here's what Judah's mindset was. We're the apple of God's eye. We're the favored of God. And God would never take a heathen nation and use against us. What can I tell you? They were very much deceived. And so when God said to Habakkuk here in verse 5, a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. Let me ask you a question. Let's go back further in the Old Testament. Did God warn the people before the flood of what He was going to do? What did they say? God ain't going to do that. Well, guess what? When it started, water started coming from below and started coming from above and started raising up from the, from the dirt of the earth and, and it began to flood, then here's what was happening. Can you imagine what was going through people's minds? We'd have never believed this. Let me tell you something, Liberty. Y'all love me say amen. 
Don't let what's going on in this country and this world catch you off guard. I can't believe I'd see a day when gas would be $5 a gallon. I got news for you. I believe if the, if, if the church don't get right, you, you say, well, I thought the world needed to get right. No, the church needs to get right. Because, see, the problem in the world is not the world. The problem in the world is the church. You say, what do you mean the problem in the world is the church? Because church being vessels at God's disposal. See, the church was God's vessel of grace to turn the world to Christ. Don't blame the world for acting like the world. How do you expect them to act? That's who they are. So I want to tell you right now, God could allow anything and do anything just to try to wake the church up. You see, it's a work beyond expectation. It's a work beyond explanation. I mean, listen. He says to Habakkuk, he said, he said, when I tell you this, you ain't going to believe it. And can I tell you the reality of things? Here's the reality of things. When the world stands before God in judgment, and God pronounces that judgment, can I tell you what the mindset of the world's going to be? Are you serious? You say, preacher, you can't put Bible to that. I can. You say, where at? Matthew chapter 7. What does it say? Many will stand before me that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do mighty works in thy name? Did we not cast out demons in thy name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. In other words, are you serious? Look what I've done. You say, well, surely nobody will be caught by surprise by God's judgment. Oh, it happens every day. Amen. Matter of fact, the church is blind to God's judgment. And so here is Habakkuk, and he said, listen, it's going to be a work beyond your expectation. You're, 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 you're just not, it's going to be the last thing you expect, but it's going to be a work beyond explanation. You're not going to be able to explain this one. Well, that's the reality of God's answer. But notice the revelation of God's answer. When he says here, We'll, we'll do a work that you will not believe, though it be told you. So God's going to give revelation to Habakkuk of what he's going to do. But now here's the rub. He's not going to give an explanation. Now you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. If God gives me a revelation about what he's going to do, I deserve an explanation. Oh, you don't deserve anything. Because even if he would explain it to Habakkuk, Habakkuk wouldn't understood it. And so God's going to tell him, all right, this is what I'm going to do. But I'm not going to tell you why I'm doing it. See, here's something you and I got to learn about God. Anything God says to us is mercy. And if God has saved you, and never ever spoke a word to you again, he was still more than merciful. But I'm glad God always speaks. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. I am so glad he always speaks. 
And so God says, listen, you're not going to believe this when I tell you. I'm going to give you a revelation of what I'm going to do. You're not going to believe it because I'm not going to explain it. Now listen to me. So what does that leave us? Where does that leave us as the child of God? When God allows something in my life I don't understand. Or God gives me direction in a way that I don't understand. But God doesn't give you an explanation of why. What do I do? You trust God for who He is. And you trust God He's in control. And you trust God, listen, that He never, ever makes a mistake. And whatever He allows, whatever He does. You say, well, preacher, I can't function that way. I've got to dot every I and cross every T. That's the way I function. Well, guess what? You're going to find the Christian life to be miserable to you. Because God's not going to dot every I and cross every T for you. Because if God dotted every I and crossed every T for you, you would cease to trust Him. And so, you see here, the exhortation to look and the exhortation to learn. Now, let me show you this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21. So God gives him revelation, but not explanation. And here's why. He said previously to Israel, this was going to happen. He said... They have moved me to jealousy, being Israel, with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy. In other words, what you've done to me, I'm going to do to you. With those which are not a people, and I will provoke them to anger, how? With a foolish nation. Now how many of you agree just by that verse alone? Setting aside that God already done this with Assyria with Israel once. But how many agree with just that verse alone? Habakkuk shouldn't have been surprised. But he was. Why? Because he had his mind set in one direction. And God had to change it. He had to change his mind towards Judah. He had to change his mind towards God. Because Habakkuk had put God in a box. And Habakkuk has said, here's the parameters which you've got to work. And God said, oh, Habakkuk, there's not a box big enough on eternity past, eternity present, or eternity future that can hold me. He said, Habakkuk, you need to understand. Everything is at my disposal to you. Now, I'm going to break somebody's bubble here, but y'all are going to love me anyway. Say amen. amen. Even Satan is a puppet on God's string. Amen. He can jerk his chain anytime he wants to. Are y'all hearing me say amen? amen? I mean, God, listen, everything is at his disposal. But look thirdly and lastly, the exhortation to learn. So now, God just begins to lay out to Habakkuk, this revelation. Notice what he says here. He says, 
For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. So here's the revelation God gave to Habakkuk in answer to his cry. Habakkuk, you think I'm not doing anything. Oh, I've been doing something for a while. Look. Listen. Now learn. I will raise up. Do y'all see that on the screen or in your Bibles? Who's going to raise them up? I didn't hear you. Who's going to raise them up? You say, wait a minute, preacher. God don't have anything to do with evil. Oh, God didn't. Listen. God didn't tempt them to be evil. But God can use anything for His glory and for His purpose. You see, here's the picture. God said, I'm going to raise up this nation. Matter of fact, here's how it reads. I'm already raising them up. Now, so what is Habakkuk to learn about God in this? Here's some things. First thing, he's to learn of God's ways. You say, preacher, what do you mean he's to learn of God's ways? Habakkuk needed to learn that as everything is at his God's disposal to use, that God is not limited to one people being Israel. See, Israel's focus and Israel's mindset was. God will only use us. And God said, no, no. Just as I raised you up, Israel, I can raise somebody else up. How many of you agree Israel's learned the greatest lesson about this? That when they rejected the Messiah, the Bible says that God took the gospel away from Israel and gave it to the Gentiles. I can raise up whoever I want. Habakkuk. You need to understand my ways are not confined to one people. See, I'm the God of the universe. I spoke and all of it came into existence. And for you to think that I cannot do what I'm already doing, oh, Habakkuk, you got to learn of my ways. Can I ask you a question today? What has God had to allow in your life to wake you up. What did God have to allow in your life to bring you to a place of seeing you were lost? What's God going to have to allow in your life to maybe deal with apathy or maybe deal with sinful living or maybe deal with lack of of devotion or maybe deal with lack of appetite? What is God going to have to allow in your life to deal with? with that in your life. Well, can I tell you what's at his disposal? Anything and everything. Are y'all hearing me say amen? I mean, this, this is what he's saying to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, listen! Look! Oh, but learn. I'm going to teach you my ways. 
But not only is God saying, learn my ways, but He's talking about learn God's willingness. Now you say, what do you mean? Well, how many of you agree today, if, if God was going to go to this type of extent of raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, to literally take away from Israel what they deemed to be precious, their land and their homes. What does that tell us about God? Well, here's what it tells us about God. It tells us that God is willing to go to any measure or any depth to work repentance in His people. No matter how hard, no more matter how tragic, no matter how difficult, no matter how confusing it may seem. By the way, God's never confusing. We're the ones that get confused. And so here's the reality. God says, listen, Habakkuk, you've got to learn my ways, but you've got to learn my willingness. I will do whatever it takes. Now you say, well, preacher, I just don't want to know that kind of God. Well, I want to tell you something. It's the greatest display of the love of God anywhere in Scripture. That God loves you and me so much that He would do anything to take you and me to a place of brokenness whereby repentance would be working our life. By the way, when you see that side of God, you'll stand in awe of who He is. You see, we live in a society today that teaches this. It teaches parents, let your kids make their decisions. Don't push them too hard towards their decisions because you'll run them off. But yet, here's how God loves you and me as His children. If you get out of line, I love you so much that I won't let you stay there. And I'll do whatever it takes to bring you to a place of repentance. How many agree in society today, we need to learn of God? God's willingness. I mean, the love manifested. And He's willing, listen, to take a nation like Babylon that was not a nation, make it a nation, rise it up to be the great nation of Babylon. You remember what God said? This is the head of gold for Daniel's vision. God said, I'm going to do this. And God's willingness to raise him up. Now, look, look at this. You must learn of God's ways. You must learn of God's willingness. You must learn of God's wisdom. You see, this is what Habakkuk was really questioning. God, this ain't, this ain't smart. Well, God said it's perfectly on spot. Can I tell you something today? Here's one thing that you and I cannot know that God knows. And you say, what is it? Everything. You say, well, I know a lot of things. Oh, I got news for you. You don't know anything. You may think you do, but you don't. Because what you think you know, God sees through for what it really is. How many of you can know what's happening tomorrow? God does. How many of you know what's going to happen next week? God does. How many of you know what's going to happen in three weeks? God does. 
So Habakkuk, I'm going to do a work you can't believe. I'm already started. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, Babylon, and they're going to take you into captivity. And in my wisdom, I know this is what's best for Israel. Several years ago, me and my wife went through the most difficult time in our lives as a married couple. In a span of two years, my wife had two miscarriages in two years. It was so easy for us to say to the Lord, Lord, we don't understand why. But here's what God used to help me and Lisa walk through that time together. God knows some things that we have no idea about. It may be God knew something concerning those two children that we had no idea about. But now as time went by, here's something that we also know God did. There was going to be a little two-week-old baby. That God had already set aside. When we wasn't looking. When Lisa had already started praying. God, just take the desire to be a mother out of my heart. And in God's perfect timing, our phone rings. And on the other end of the phone, this senior adult lady says, so-and-so wanted us to call you and said, would you please adopt this child? that she just gave birth to. We'd not even considered adoption. In God's wisdom, God knew. Are y'all hearing me say amen? Habakkuk, you've got to learn of my ways. You've got to learn of my willingness. You've got to learn of my wisdom. But lastly, you've got to learn of my workmanship. Now, I'm going to fly through the rest of these verses with you. Y'all ready? Say amen. What do you mean learn of God's workmanship? Well, here's, here's four things concerning God's workmanship Habakkuk had to learn. The first thing is God's designed work. God had designed this, communicated this, and planned this before the foundation of the world. You say, preacher, what are you saying? Let me ask you a question. Does God know everything before it ever was? All right, so did God know before there ever was an Israel what Israel was going to do? Did God know before there ever was an Israel and before Israel sinned what he was going to have to do to bring them to repentance? So God had it planned out. This was God's perfect designed work. But secondly, God's deliberate work. Now, I'm going to pick through verses 7 through verses 11, and I want you, I'm going to highlight some things. Look at it with me. God speaks of this nation He's rising up. And He says they're terrible, dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall perceive them. 
All right, what was Habakkuk's complaint towards Israel? The law is paralyzed and judgment's not going out. So therefore, God raises up a people that have their own view of judgment. And God said, I'm going to use them against you to show you, you. Notice what it says. Their horses are also swifter than leopards. They're more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as eagles. They hasteth to eat. What was Israel's mindset? We are the favored of God. We're the all-powerful. No one can come against us. Oh, God said, oh, listen. Just as I raised you up, I can raise another one up. More powerful than you. Look what it goes on to say. They shall come all for violence. What did, what did Habakkuk cry in verse 2? The violence that I see. And God said, I'm going to let you reap what you sowed. You're a violent people because you've turned your back on me. I'm going to bring a violent people against you. Verse 10. They shall scoff at kings. In other words, they'll have nothing to do with authority. What did God see with Judah? Were they yielding to Him as King of kings? Were they yielding to Him as sovereign God? No! Well, God said, I'm going to use the same people with the same mindset to be my vessels of grace to wake you up. They shall deride every stronghold. They shall heap dust and take it. They shall have his mind changed and he shall pass over and offend, imputing his power unto his God. What's verse 11 to say? I want you to hear me. The word mind there means to pass through. And here's what he's saying. They will be astounded and what I'm allowing them to do. That they will know they cannot give credit to themselves, but yet because they don't know me, they're going to give credit to their idol gods. What was one of Israel's sins? Idolatry. How many agree the Bible says you'll reap what you sow? So what are you saying? I'm saying this was God's deliberate work. This wasn't by happenstance. This wasn't by chance. This was all by God's design. Lastly, and I'm done, God's defined work. So why did God work this work? Because there's a reason. When you and I act independent of God, who have you exalted above God? Y'all answer me. I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. So if self is the idol, what's God got to destroy? How's He going to destroy it? He's going to have to get you so dependent on Him that you can't depend upon self anymore. 
So what was God's purpose in all this? To get Israel to the end of themselves. Now, Liberty, I want you to hear me. Am I God? Do I understand all that's taking place today in this country? I do not. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. But could it be that God's allowing what's going on in this country today to get the church away from being dependent on everything else but God? How many agree this world likes to be dependent on what they have? Well, I want to tell you right now, unless something changes, you're not going to have much anymore. Are y'all hearing me say amen? Could it be that God's trying to get the church dependent upon Him? God's defined work, God's definite work. Here's the last thing I believe he was trying to t teach Habakkuk. If God could raise up an enemy to be as great and powerful as Babylon, to be a tool of his grace, what could God do for Israel if they would just obey him? Church, what would God do if we just yielded and surrendered to Him? One of the great passages for me in the Old Testament found in Deuteronomy. And here's a paraphrase of what the passage says. It's two chapters. Israel comes up to the edge of the Jordan to go across the land of Canaan. And you remember what happened? They said, well, we need, to, we need to do some research. In other words, don't need to trust God, let's do some research. So they formed a Baptist committee. Are y'all with me? Say amen. They said, we got to go spy out the land. So they sent 12. Y'all know what happened. They came back. You remember, I've taught you this before. They came back. What did they say? Well, all 12 of them were united on one thing. You say, what was it? It's everything God said it would be. You ain't going to believe it. I wish you could see it. Whoa, man, I wish you could see it. They were excited. But then 10 of them. But we got one problem. Actually, two. There's walled cities. There's giants. Everything God said it would be. But see, we're the committee of the Debbie Downers. Are y'all hearing me say amen? And we can't take it. So God, as Moses accounts, God just kindly lowers their ears a little bit. Y'all do know what that means. That's a mountain turf. Okay, good. 
And Israel said, all right, we repent. We'll go. God said, no. Not going to let you go now. Because you haven't learned to trust me. So the next two chapters, here's what happened. God takes them on a journey in the wilderness. And God directs them. I hear all these preachers say, well, they just walked around in circles. In the well, they didn't walk around in circles. God directed every step. They came up against a heathen nation. God said, look at them. God said, but don't touch them. That's not your land. I gave them that land. Takes them to another heathen nation. Don't touch them. Because that's not your land. I gave them that land. Takes them to another nation. Don't touch them. That's not your land. I gave them that land. What was God trying to teach them? If I could give the heathen their land, what can I for you if you just trust me. But a whole generation, even seeing the evidence of God's sovereignty, wouldn't trust Him. And God had to remove a whole generation and raise up another generation that would just say, God, we're going to trust you. Would to God we'd be that generation. They would just trust Him. What about you? You may be here today and you're lost. And you know you're lost. What's God going to have to raise up in your life or around your life to get your attention? You may be here today and you're saved, but you like Israel. You're walking to your own drumbeat. What's God going to have to do? What's God going to have to raise up in your life to get your attention? Because here's what I'm here to tell you about God. He's willing. He can. And He will. But isn't it much easier for us just to say yes to Him? That He don't have to? How many of y'all agree with that statement? Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. I pray, Father, that we would be sensitive to the times in which we live. I think it goes absolutely without any contradiction that you're trying to do a work within your church in these desperate, desperate times. Father, I believe unless something drastically changes, it's going to get worse and worse. Father, what depths are you going to have to go? What depths are you going to have to allow for the church in America to say, it's all about you. It's not about us. Father, I thank You for this church that has such a hunger and desire for You and Your Word. But Father, even in the midst of this church, we have many places in our lives that need to be trimmed, need to be changed. In my life, Father, there's mindsets that need to be dealt with. There's 
motivations that need to be dealt with. Father, I thank You that You love us enough to do literally whatever it takes to bring us to a place of repentance in those areas of our life. So Father, may it start right here, right now in this invitation. Father, if You're pricking somebody's heart concerning their spiritual condition before You, Father, I pray in Your divine power would they say yes to You this morning. Father, for every child of Yours, if You're putting Your finger on areas of our life, may we see how much You love us, how much You cherish us, how much You care for us. That You'll do whatever it takes. That we could be vessels surrendered and yielded to You. And I'll praise You and thank You for what You do and how You do it. In Jesus' name.